Hello, everyone. Thank you again for joining Dorsey Ross on this episode of The Dorsey Ross Show. In this episode, Dorsey interviews another special guest that will give you hope and inspire you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Dorsey Ross Show. Today, we have a special guest with us. Her name is Elizabeth. She is an Air Force Academy graduate, the wife of a full-time afterburner fighter pilot, and the mother of eight energetic children. This dynamic combination leads to no small amount of chaos in her day-to-day life. The sudden death of her born son, Timothy, radically altered the course of, her, of Elizabeth's life, having come through a season of doubting God's faithfulness. She shares her personal journey from trial to triumph to help others overcome adversity so they can live with joy and purpose. Elizabeth, thank you for coming on. The thank you so much. Today. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you having me as a guest. Absolutely, definitely. So Elizabeth, tell us about who you are and you know exactly what mm-hmm. you Yeah, do. You, you covered a lot of it there in the intro. We have a big family, so that's always a novelty that people like to hear about. <laughs> we have four boys and four girls. Um, they range in age from 9 to 23. And um, two of ours have launched into adulthood, and the third oldest is launching next week. He has a job, and so he's moving out and going to start that. And the four youngest are still, I'm still homeschooling them. Um, one in the middle there that I've left out is he's doing college online. So yeah, okay. we're, we're busy. There's always a party going on. We've just recently moved out to East Texas where we have some country acreage. And so we've added chickens and ducks and sheep to our circus. <laughs> <laughs> so. Tell us exactly about the experience of losing your son and what was that like? Yeah, that was definitely a turning point in my life. I could divide my life to, you know, before Timothy was born and after. And um, just this past weekend, in fact, we kind of celebrated or marked the 14th anniversary of his passing. It's hard to believe that it's been that long because, you know, I still remember everything so clearly. Um, But it was my my sixth pregnancy, so I had five young children still at home, and um, we had gone to visit family for Memorial Day. We lived out in Alabama, and we had traveled over to Texas, and we were staying with family there, and uh, during the night, you know, I kind of started not feeling well, and in the morning when we woke up, I told my husband, you know, what was going on, and that I was kind of feeling crampy, and he prayed for our baby, put his hand on my stomach and prayed for me and for our child. And as soon as he said, Lord, we surrender this child to you, then my water broke and Timothy's body was born. The first thing I said is, is it's a boy because, you know, we hadn't known that beforehand. And it was just a very traumatic experience for me. You know, losing a a child anyway is traumatic, but, um, just the, the the images and the things that I experienced that day just continued to play over and over in my head for for months and years to come. 
And so I kind of got trapped in this place of grief. I didn't really know how to move on. I was depressed, although I didn't recognize that at the time. I didn't know how to communicate that or articulate that. I just knew that I felt bad. I felt off. And I really struggled with my faith. I really just doubted God and questioned him. And, and I didn't understand where he was when I was hurting so bad. I felt like he had abandoned me. And so it, it took me a long time to kind of go through that journey and process that and find a place of healing. And the biggest thing I think that held back my healing is for a long time, I tried to just kind of grin and bear it, you know, just kind of smile and push through it. And it took me a long time to get to the point where I was willing to ask for help. Yeah. And uh, for people who have lost, you know, a son or, you know, maybe even a family member suddenly like that, how did you, you know, deal with that? And how did you finally say, all right, God, I understand what happened. I, I surrender it, you know, to yeah, you. Yeah, it was really hard because the things that we normally do when we're grieving the passing of a person didn't apply in this case. Our culture doesn't really know how to grieve the passing of a child that wasn't born yet, that he died before he was born. And so I kind of got stuck in this weird zone where it almost felt like I was the only one who knew that he had actually existed and like everyone else was denying it. So, I, you know, I didn't know how to process that grief. And I had all these doubts and these questions. And eventually, though, I came to realize that if God came down and answered all my questions, it wouldn't take the pain away. It wouldn't bring my son back. And I, I realized that though I was seeking these answers of why this happened or, or what went on, that's not what I really wanted. What I really wanted was God's presence. And I also came to the realization that I don't actually want a God that I can understand. I want a God that I can trust even when I don't understand. Because any God that's small enough for me to understand is too small to help me. He's not worthy of my worship. He's not He's not God. I don't even understand myself. And I realized that, you know, I wanted a big, a great God. Right. And just to rest in the mysteries of God, that I'm not going to have all the answers. And I wouldn't understand him if he gave them to me anyway. What I really need is his presence. And I know that I can trust him because I don't have to look any further than what he did for me on the cross. He gave his best and his only. And so that's the demonstration of his love. And I say, well, he's going to take care of everything else, too, because I can see that. Amen. You also are a coach and a mentor. And what exactly is that? And what exactly is it mm -hmm. that you I'm do? I'm trying to help coach and mentor people to overcome adversity and to live out their purpose. Because I feel like when we get tripped up in our tragedies and trials and things that happen to us, our past hurts, you know, we get hung up on those, then we're not really in the best place to serve others in love and to live out the purpose that God created us for. But when we can go through the hard work of finding healing through these things and, and leaning on God and growing in that, then, then we can go back and mine that painful past for little nuggets of gold and things that we can share with others. And there's often a lot of purpose in our pain that we can't see when we're in the midst of it. But when we work towards finding our healing in that um, with God's help, that then we can turn around and minister to others and, and find what it was we were meant to do. Wow. 
What is your definition of adversity, and what are the keys to overcoming adversity? Yeah, so adversity is anything that we would call bad that happens to us, and it can be, you know, a tragedy, like losing someone suddenly. It can be just a trial, you know, where you get laid off or you have some financial problems, or, you know, it could be a situation where a relationship is not going as well as you wanted it to, or, you know, a loss of identity. It could be health crisis. It could be so many, it could be a world pandemic, you know, just anything that causes us stress or difficulty that kind of makes (laughs) us want to, you know, throw in the towel a bit. Um, And the way that we overcome that is through resiliency. Resiliency is the the ability to bounce back after life has dealt us a hard blow. Um, it's, It's getting back up after we've fallen, you know, you may have heard the advice of if you fall off a horse, you got to get right back on the horse. And so that's kind of what resiliency is. And a lot of people have the mistaken idea that you're either born with it or you're not, you know, either you have grit or you don't. And that's not the case at all. It's actually just a learnable skill. You can learn to be more resilient. And so I kind of stumbled upon these methods myself as I tried to find healing for my, my own situation and I didn't know what to do. I just kind of took baby steps in a bunch of different areas. But now I've kind of got it more organized. And it's really um, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, and then will or motivation is the last one. And um, so I just kind of help coach people and teach how we can build strength in those five areas. And that helps us to overcome the challenges and the obstacles that face us and to be stronger because of it. You know, with my military background, of course, I think of an obstacle course, you know, you're supposed to run through this course, but they intentionally put obstacles in your way. And it's not to prevent you from completing the course. The purpose of the obstacles is to grow you in strength and in confidence and your abilities to to learn how to meet a challenge and overcome it. And oftentimes God does things like that for us. And we sometimes will meet an obstacle and go, oh, well, that's it. You know, I guess I can't do this. Or, you know, we feel like a victim and we feel like we just can't go any further in life because of this thing that happened. Um, But God wants us to overcome that obstacle so that we're stronger in our faith. We're stronger as a person and we can help the the people who are coming along behind us and and help get them over the obstacle as well. Right. You had mentioned uh, resiliency in your last answer, and how can one build a resilient life? So um, on my website, I share what I call the five roads to resiliency, and it's kind of first steps that we can take in in each of these areas. So with our, our spiritual life, our spirit, that's the part of us that connects to God, and we can grow stronger in there through prayer and through communicating with God. And I have some resources on my website that people can download to help, you know, if, if people don't know what to pray or don't know how to do it consistently, I have some, some things to help out with that. And then mentally is very much about throwing out lies and absorbing the truth. Um, and sometimes there's lies that we've believed for so long, we don't even recognize them. So that's step one. You recognize a lie, reject it, and then replace it with the truth. And the, the source of our truth is through reading our Bible. But, um, you know, there's a lot of lies that play in our head like, oh, you can't do that. You're not good enough for that. Or you'll never overcome this thing. Those are all lies from the devil, from the enemy. And we need to give those thoughts the booth, the boot. It was very empowering to me the day that I realized just because I have a thought 
doesn't mean it's true. And it doesn't mean it's earned the right to take up real estate in my brain. And I can say, no, I'm not going to think that because that thought is not serving me. Um, so that would be in the, the mental area. Heart is a lot about gratitude and, you know, about I, I love the verse that says, seek and you will find. When I was seeking ways to find that God didn't care about me, that he had abandoned me, you know, I found I found things to support that theory that I had. But when we seek all the ways that God blesses us, and it just opens our eyes to, wow, he's really taken good care of me. And I, when we focus on all the things we have been given instead of the things we feel like we should have gotten and didn't. Um, physically, is I, I think in Western Christianity especially, we kind of just negate the body. But that has an impact. You know, what we eat, if we exercise, how much rest we get, how stressed we are, if we take care of medical situations. All of those things can factor in to our mental and emotional and even spiritual health. So I don't want to ignore that part. That was a big part of my healing, too. And then the willpower is the, or the motivation is the final one. And that's that ties in a lot to perseverance and to just not quitting to get back up again. There's a, a verse in scripture that says, you know, the righteous one falls seven times and gets back up. It's not that we don't ever fall or that we don't get knocked down, but it's when we do, we get back up again. And that's what we're going for. That's where the grit and the resilience is, is built. Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely need to get back up when we fall and, you know, when we, you know, have, when we have those trials and we have those difficulties, we just have to play and, you know, like you can read our Bibles and to definitely, you know, just move, mm -hmm. yeah. move forward. You know, we all, you know, deal with suffering and deal with difficulties in our lives. And the next question is, why do, why do you think God allows Yeah, suffering? that's a, a great question and one that people have asked for a long, long time. And, you know, I don't know that we'll ever have like a truly satisfying answer. But as I thought that through, there are several answers to that question. There are several sources of suffering. Sometimes we honestly just bring suffering upon ourselves. We make a bad choice and, and something happens because of something we've done. Other times it's because of somebody else's bad choice or sin. You know, somebody does something to us that's hurtful or harmful or, or they make a bad decision and the consequences impact us as well. And sometimes it's just because we live in a fallen world, you know, things like a natural disaster or something that's not really any person's fault or nothing, you know, it's just, it just happens. Uh, you know, the case with my, with my son, Timothy and losing him, it was nobody in particular's fault. It's just what happened. Um, so there, there are these different, um, sources of suffering. And I think ultimately a lot of it comes down to, you know, God's sovereignty and humans free will. And, God wants a, a relationship with us. He wants a love relationship and love to be love cannot be forced that those two are, are not reconcilable. So we have to have the free choice to love him. The rest of creation doesn't have a choice. You know, the sun rises when he tells it to and sets when he tells it to, and he's determined these things and they can't disobey. But in order to have this love relationship with God that he desires with us, he has to give us the choice to walk away from him. And when we do that, you know, there's consequences to that. And that's what leads to suffering. But he values our our individuality and our free will so much that he does not 
compromise that, even though he could enter into our situation and make all of us do the right thing. And sometimes, frankly, we wish he would. <laughs> he's not going to because he set it up so that we choose, we have the option to choose him or not. And we can't choose him if he's the only alternative, you know, if there were no other path but following him, then that's not really a choice. That's just an illusion of a choice. There there needs to be, you know, a path that follows to him, path that goes off somewhere else. And, you know, unfortunately, just the way it works, when we go off on our own way, we we get injured and bad things happen. And the, the way I kind of simplify that a lot is as a mom, if my kid wants to play in the street, I say no. You know, I put boundaries up there because I know the truck that's going to come down the road in a little bit. And, and not be good for my child. And so when God says no to us, when he puts up those boundaries, it's because he loves us and he wants to protect us. And he's like, if you stay in this zone, you know, you'll be safe. And if you go outside of that, you won't be. Now, there's also then the factor of, you know, for, for years, I questioned, you know, what did I do wrong that God got mad at me and, and took my child? And you know, sometimes things just happen and it's not because we did anything yeah. wrong, you know, it, so I finally came to the point where I realized nobody ever obeyed God as well as Jesus and nobody suffered as much as he did. So sometimes God's plan for us involves suffering and he brings purpose from that pain and he grows us through that experience. Right. How can we grow closer to God in the midst of our trials? I think um, leaning into him rather than pulling away from him is key. I felt hurt by God. I felt betrayed. And I kind of pulled away to go off in the corner and pout and deal with my doubts and my questions. But in my book, I encourage people, bring your questions and your doubts to God. I think sometimes we feel like it's blasphemous or disrespectful to say, God, what are you doing in this situation? But that's part of developing our relationship with him. And it's not like he doesn't know what we're thinking anyway. It's not like he hasn't heard that thousands of times before. We're not the first person to ask that question. And God's a big boy and he can handle it. And he wants us to bring our doubts and our questions and our troubles to him and work it out with him. When I kind of, you know, took my my hurts and questions to myself and, and turned away and tried to sort it out myself, I was really just cutting myself off from the only source of true healing that there was. And that didn't get me anywhere. It wasn't until I turned back around and said, okay, God, I can't fix this on my own. I need you. Help me out. Um, that's when the healing began for me. Yeah. How do you deal with when you know when people ask the question when you know sometimes in our lives we do things and we say things and you know trials come and difficulties come and you know things just doesn't make sense sometimes in our lives and how do we overcome that when you know Sometimes we think God doesn't make sense, you know, like mm-hmm. with the pandemic, you know, God could have stopped it, mm-hmm. but he didn't, you know, why didn't he, you know, not, what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact when yeah. God doesn't and make that's, sense? That's what I struggled with for a long time. Um, but, you know, eventually it comes down to it's not an intellectual thing. It's a heart thing of trusting him. 
And I love the book of Job. You know, Job asks all these questions. He was suffering unjustly in his mind. He hadn't done anything wrong. And, and yet it seemed like God was taking everything from him. And he asks a lot of questions, you know, 40 chapters worth or, or a little less than that. But God shows up at the end. And, and God talks for a couple of chapters, but he doesn't answer a single one of Job's questions. In fact, he, he asks his own. He's like, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? You know, where were you when this and that happened? How Do you know the path the stars take? Did you put them up there? And at the end of that, Job is just like, he puts his hand on his mouth. He's like, I spoke about what I, I don't know about. You know, God was saying, I'm so much bigger than you can comprehend. And and Job was okay with that. But then what's interesting is at the end of there, um, God tells Job to pray for his friends and make an offering for him. And he he praises Job and says, Job was honest with me. You know, his friends tried to say, oh, well, you've obviously done something bad or God wouldn't be picking on you like this. And they try to come up with these other explanations for things. But he said, God, uh, Job was was open and was honest with me. And I think that's another thing of, you know, we bring our doubts and our questions say, God, I don't understand this. Um, there, in my book, I list several different, um, places in scripture where people ask questions of God in a seeking sort of way and that God accepts that. And he may or may not answer the question. Um, but he receives that person as we try to seek, we try to understand, we try to say, where are you in this God? Um, you know, there's other kinds of questions we can ask that would be more mocking. You, you can think of the, the Pharisees, you know, they would, they would try to trap Jesus with their questions. And it wasn't that they were trying to get closer to God. They were just trying to get their own way and condemn an innocent person. You know, so our motivation in, in asking these questions as we ponder these things out um, is important. But I think ultimately we need to be okay with the fact that we're not going to have all the answers this side of heaven. And that's okay. And even if God did give us all the answers, we wouldn't understand them anyway. You know, I can't explain physics to my dog. It's just not going to happen. And God can't explain right. everything to us. It's too too big for us. His thoughts are above <laughs> ours. Absolutely. When we're in you know, in the midst of trials and we feel far away from God and we feel that God is far away from us, how do we, you know, obviously we read the Bible, we pray, and maybe that's the only thing we can do, but how do we grow closer to God in the midst of yes, our trials? Yes, and that's very challenging. You know, the, the day that my son died, we went to, we went to the hospital and um, we took his body with us. You know, he was his body was born at home, but um, the hospital took his body and wouldn't return it to me. And so that was kind of a source of pain. But as we were leaving, you know, we left the hospital that day. That's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was leave the hospital without my son's body. And there was kind of a, a thunderstorm brewing in the distance. And we went over to the little garden where they told us they were going to spread his ashes for us. We weren't allowed to come to that ceremony, but they were going to do it. And... Um, off in the distance, I kind of heard the thunder rumble a little, you know, kind of that low rumble. And I just felt in my spirit, like God said, I will be with you. And then that was like the last thing I heard from him for like four or five years. It, it was just silence. Like after that, you know, every time I tried to pray, every time I did. And that that's part of what led to me pulling away from God is I felt like he wasn't there. And it wasn't until I started seeking him again that he started showing himself to me again. Um, 
so part of it was an attitude adjustment on my part, but I, I think there's more to it than that. Just prior to this time, I was really kind of on a high point with God, really growing in my faith and my walk and how I prayed. And um, so I think part of it was just a deepening of our relationship. You know, as you think of a, a child as he or she grows, there's a continual sort of separation. You know, first the umbilical cord is cut and then, you know, you wean the child and then, you know, they get further and further out. Um, and as I've read more about, you know, really strong people of faith who have gone through a dark time where God felt silent to them. And so I think in some cases that's that's part of his growing and maturing process of us is to teach us that he's still faithful even when we don't get little warm fuzzies or we don't get a, a little, you know, nice message from him every day or we, we're not feeling close to him to know that he's still there anyway. And so I feel like now having gone through all of this, my faith is much firmer than it was before. You know, before it was kind of, it was based on a lot of feelings and, you know, is life going my way? Well, then God's happy. And if it's not, then, you know, God's not happy with me. And, um, now it's just, I, I just know the consistency and the power of God's love, that he always loves me, that he's always with me no matter what. And so even if I'm having a day where I'm not really feeling it, I know that I know that I know that I know that he's still there with me. So going through that time of feeling alone helped me to realize that he's always there. And I, that may not make sense if you haven't been through, you know, a time like that, but I just... It, it rocked my faith at the time, but now my faith is stronger. Amen. For people that want to get to know you better, what is your website and what is the name of your book and how did you come mm -hmm. to writing your book? And yeah, what so is it my, about? my book actually started out as a journal as I started those quiet times with God. Again, it was from my prayer, my Bible reading time in the morning. And a counselor that I've seen at the time told me to write down things so that when I was depressed and feeling really low, that I could read those and remember them. And about three quarters of the way through that first notebook, I'm like, I think I'm writing a book. And um, so I started writing and it got to be too big. So I chopped it up into three. So the first book is out. It's called Undefeated from Trial to Triumph. And the main premise of the book is that a lot of times we feel defeated because we don't realize the nature of the battle that we're in. We think that we're struggling against a person or a situation when really it's, it's this cosmic battle of good and evil. And so the first part of the book is called Believe Anyway, and it's just addressing kind of what we, we've talked about already about, you know, where's God and our suffering and questions and doubts. Um, then it goes into, you know, who our enemy really is, and it's not often who we blame. And that if we're going to fight the good fight of faith effectively, we need to identify the right target. And it's not you know, the person sitting across the table from us. It's the devil himself. And then knowing who God is and how powerful he is and how much he loves us. And then the third part is knowing ourselves and our own identity in Christ and that we are created to be victorious, not to be a victim. And if we're if we're feeling a victim and we're we're sort of stuck in that victim mentality, that's what the enemy is doing to incapacitate us. That is not God's will for us. God's will is for us to be victorious. Um, the second book, which is going to come out later this year, is called Undaunted, Your Battle Plan for Victorious Living. And that's where I kind of go through these five different areas that I've touched on of mental, spiritual, physical, emotional, 
and motivational well-being and how to strengthen those areas in a deliberate way. And then I also have a chapter on depression and one on anxiety because that's what I've dealt with personally. Obviously, it's not from a professional counseling perspective because that's not who I am. It's just a fellow person in the trenches. So that will be out later this year. And you can find out more information about both of those on my website. It's my name, elizabethmyers.me, M-E. And that's kind of the hub for everything that I do. You can connect to my social media there or my podcast. It's called Resilient Life Hacks. And um, I talk to people each week about things that they've overcome and what they've learned. And so you can get all that information and the free downloads that I have available all there at elizabethmyers.me. Okay, great. Awesome. What is something you would like to share with a person experiencing depression, anxiety, pregnancy, loss? Yeah, definitely. I would like to just have people know that there is always a reason to hope, even if you can't see it. There was one time we went skiing up in Idaho, and it was really foggy, you know, the clouds were low, kind of gloomy sort of day. But as we drove up the mountain to go to the ski place, you know, there's a point where you break through the clouds and just up on the mountaintop and look at this blanket of clouds below us. And it was super bright and sunny up there, you know, because there were no clouds between uh, all the clouds were below us, not between us and the and the sun. And so just that picture or if you've ever been in an airplane, you've experienced it, too, you know, where you climb above the clouds. The sun's always shining above the clouds. But sometimes when we're down on the earth and it's overcast, we can't see that the sun is there. And, you know, sometimes that even affects our mood, even when we feel kind of gloomy. But if a person's going through a hard time or feeling depressed or feeling anxious, it may be like there's a cloud cover and you can't see the sun anymore. You can't see a reason to hope. But I want you to know that it's there. You don't have to see it for it to be real. Just like the sun is still there, even when you can't see it. God is still there. There's still a reason to hope. And don't give up on that, to keep persevering, to keep seeking God and pushing through and know that it it won't always be like this, that it will be better and that there is a reason to go on. Amen. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Dorsey Show. I greatly appreciate having you and for you willing and able to share your story and your experiences. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's been a delight talking to you. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you again for joining me on that episode of the Dorsey Show and until next time, God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you again for joining Dorsey Ross on this episode of the Dorsey Ross Show. Please like, share, and tell others about the show. Also, please check out the other podcast episodes. And if you would like, donate to this podcast and buy Dorsey a coffee. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.